There is a fifth dimension, beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. It lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Dimensions, a Twilight Zone podcast. In this episode, we are going to discuss episode four of season one, titled The 16mm Shrine. And now here's Will Lastly with the opening narration. Picture of a woman looking at a picture. Movie grade of another time. Once brilliant star in a firmament, no longer part of the sky. Eclipsed by the movement of earth and time. Barbara Jean Trenton, whose world is a projection room, whose dreams are made out of celluloid. Barbara Jean Trenton, struck down by hit-and-run years, and lying on the unhappy pavement, trying desperately to get the license number of fleeting fame. This episode was written by Rod Serling, directed by Mitchell Leeson, who will go on to direct two more episodes of The Twilight Zone, uh, including Escape Clause and People Are Alike All Over, which we will get to later on. It was produced by Buck Houghton. In the cast was Ida Lupino and Martin Balsam. Music by Bernard Herrmann. Where to Watch is Netflix and Hulu, or if you have the DVDs. And the original air date was October 23rd, 1959. Now, of course, there will be spoilers ahead, so if you haven't seen the episode, I recommend you pause this, go watch it, and then come back. And if you're feeling froggy, be sure to go to Dimensions TZ Podcast at gmail.com. And leave me any feedback about this episode or previous episodes that you would like. I welcome all feedback and I look forward to reading your comments and your thoughts about the episodes. So, on with the show. The 16mm Shrine. It, uh, if I'm honest, isn't one of my favorite episodes. It's uh, one that I will put on if I'm feeling in a, a somewhat nostalgic mood maybe or if it's a good you know it's it's a good background filler episode um, if you were wanting to watch a few episodes of the twilight zone a few of your favorites maybe throw that one somewhere in the middle to kind of cleanse the palate so to speak but even though it's not one of my favorites it still is an episode of the twilight zone and i think even though it's not one of my favorites it's still a pretty good episode all things considered so it stars ida lupino who plays Barbara Jean Trenton, who is an aging movie star of the previous era, meaning she was a star in the 30s and somewhat in the 40s. But here we are staring the 1960s down, and she hasn't had a role in over 20 years. What she does have is a fairly large ego, as well as a mild delusion of grandeur. Now, in the opening shot, you see Barbara Jean sitting in this screening room in her house, and you get the sense that even though she may not have been a movie star for 
20 plus years, it seems like she was probably a pretty big star back in the day due to the fact that for 20 years she could still live in the same house and afford servants and and uh, all that comes along with it. And then we see the maid come into the screening room and she's got a snack, I guess you could say, on a tray. And you get the feeling the maid is is super uneasy around Barbara Jean because she always just seems as nervous as a cat and I think it's very well pulled off by the maid. She surely seems to have a bit of apprehension every time she's around this woman. Now Barbara Jean is nowhere to be seen in the room and it's dark and the motion picture projector is running and the maid gets startled because you see a bit of foreshadowing because from behind the screen Barbara Jean comes out posing in the exact pose as she is posing on the movie that she is watching of herself on the screen. It's at this point that we meet Martin Balsam, who plays her agent, Danny, and I find it funny, and of course, you know, you have to have this for the plot, but I find it weird that she still has an agent after all this time, considering she hasn't worked in over two decades. The fact that she still you know, has an agent willing to help her and and hang around and and try to work with her really says a lot, I think. And of course, you know, in his his true form and fashion, Martin Balsam is wonderful in the role of Danny. And at this point, if you're a lover of old movies and if you're a lover of the old Hollywood and everything that this movie is trying to fictionalize and also pay homage to, you'll note that uh, it it bears somewhat a striking resemblance to uh, Sunset Boulevard. If you haven't seen that movie, I recommend you watch it. It's a really good movie. And uh, the plot is oddly similar and plays out much in the same way with the exception of Martin Balsam's character doesn't get murdered in the end. Now at this point, through... Martin talking to Barbara Jean, you get the sense that this woman basically never leaves her house. She is, for all intents and purposes, a hermit. Because even in those days, if you had the money and the wherewithal, you could literally have anything delivered to your house that you desired. Much in the same way, you know, today that we have Amazon and we have Instacart and all these other things where... You know, if you work from home, you literally don't have to leave your house for anything. And it's it's easy to see, especially in these times, you know, that we've had the quarantines and the shutdowns due to the COVID, that uh, I could see how people could become basically agoraphobic or, you know, shut into their house and not wanting to go out anywhere and meet the public. I can totally understand that. Before, it really didn't make a lot of sense to me, but now that I've been working from home for several months and using things like Amazon and and Instacart and things that you you really get the sense that this could easily happen to people, even people that you might not think could have the ability to be hermits could easily turn into them. So Danny talks to her and he says he's got a part that he wants her to try out for at International Pictures and she gets excited you know, because she thinks, well, I'm going to be a star again and everything is going to be wonderful. Mm, you know, sort of like Sunset Boulevard. And so Danny tells her to be ready 
and be over at the studio by a certain time. And he tells her one of the best old sayings that, that people used to say back then. He told her to put her war paint on. And, you know, I always thought that was very, very interesting. Um, misogynistic in a way, but still very interesting. And, and the, the thing I love about it is just the sheer misogyny of it that there's no there's no male equivalent of that you know what i mean there's no you know stuff a sock in it and put your pants on sort of thing you know what i mean fyi uh war paint with uh eliza schlesinger uh her comedy special is extremely funny and if you haven't seen it you should watch it especially if you're a fan of female comedians so shout out to eliza schlesinger so with her flight of fancy, of course, Danny decides to kind of keep her in check by saying, you know, well, this probably isn't a starring role because you haven't been a star in over 20 years. So you should probably, uh, you know, don't set your ex expectations too high. In which she replies with one of the best uh, retorts that you'll hear many times in the course of the Twilight Zone episodes. She tells him to go to the devil, which in 1959 terms basically meant go to hell but you couldn't say go to hell on tv back in those days remember we were still living in very uh mccarthy-esque sort of uh puritanical times in in the early days of the television so that you couldn't say stuff like that bear in mind this was 15 years before carlin's you know seven words you can't say on television so there was still a long way to go so they meet at International Pictures and meet with the, basically, uh, the CEO of it named Saul. And one of, the, one of the really subtle nuances of this episode happens when Burbagine and Danny walk in. And Saul kind of says, you know, have a seat and points to a chair. And Burbagine purposely walks past that chair to another chair to sit down basically as a uh, you know like screw you I'm a star you can't tell me what to do I'll sit where I want to sit sort of thing and I always thought that was you know a subtle sort of well-played little bit you know of uh, of goodness in the episode and I think you know, maybe some people gloss over that or some people miss it or some people might think it was an error in directing or something I, it was in there for a reason and i know it was in there for a reason it, it couldn't not be in there for a reason so saul has a part for her playing what he called a mother 40-ish with you know very vibrant and very full of life to which of course barbara jean replies you know as opposed to what a corpse and i, I love the line and i love the way that that ida lupino says it because she says it in this sort of almost overacting sort of way but it wasn't an overaction on Ida Lupino's part she was playing the part perfectly and the overreaction and the overacting of it I think was was spot-on perfect so of course Barbara Jean sees this as a just a complete slap in the face and it turns down the role and tells you know Saul that he can you know put it somewhere else and that she'd never play anything but a leading woman and he replied again with a really good line in the episode where <laughs> he said you know that it was uh, that if he ever offered her a part again he wouldn't have to go through an agent he would go through the community chest because it'd be charity 
and I thought that was very, very well written. Of course, Serling, master of, of lyrical language and, and poetic dialogue. And he told her to get out of his office, and he called her, again, another great line, nothing but an aging broad with a scrapbook. And I don't know why, but I always love that term, broad. You call someone a broad. People don't do that anymore. I think we ought to bring that back. Why don't we bring that back? Bring broad back as a word. But I digress. So, of course, I Lupino, Barbara Jean Trenton, is angry and distraught and sad and lonely and all this. And, of course, Danny tries to console her and she makes up some sort of, you know, well, if I wish hard enough, you know, I could be back in, in my heyday and that would be the greatest time of my life. And she even tells Danny that she'd like to throw a party at her place with all of her old friends and all of her old co-stars, including her leading man, so to speak, as by this time in the episode you've heard his name several times, Jerry Herndon, played by Jerome Cowan, who was a very recognized character actor in the 30s and 40s, and he was in some movies, he was in Miracle on 34th Street, and some other movies, and also a lot of television appearances pretty much from the early 50s on to when he retired. So, in the episode, you can tell now that a little time has passed, probably a few weeks, maybe even a month, month and a half, and Danny comes back to the house to give Barbara Jean a little bit of good news that her old pal, Jerry Herndon, was in town and he'd like to stop by and see her. And of course Danny is hopeful because ever since turning down that role and being called an aging broad with a scrapbook, uh, she kind of doubled down on the whole hermit thing, you know, in the mansion that she lived in, which is very ornate and opulent. And uh, I don't know, I always thought it didn't quite fit with the episode, but I digress. But he tells her Jerry Herndon's in town and... He would like to see her. So she runs up to change and Jerry comes in and of course he no longer looks like he does in the 30s. He now looks like a man that's 25 years older at that point. You know, he's got glasses and wrinkles and, you know, he's not the suave debonair leading man that she used to know. And once again, here's where Ida Lupino really kind of shines in this role where you could almost you can almost taste the disgust on her face when she sees how Jerry has aged, you know, and she doesn't think she has at all. Of course, she is delusional. In fact, she has aged as much as Jerry or anyone else from that era to, to then. And now Jerry's older and runs a chain of grocery stores in the Chicago area. And she asked him about acting, and he said, well, acting went down the drain with my youth. So Jerry exits, and Barbara Jean goes back into her viewing room, her screening room, so that she could see Jerry as he was 25 years prior, you know, when he was a handsome young leading man, and, you know, further slip into her delusion that, you know, everyone is against her and, and out to get her. Normal delusion stuff. And so we enter into the twist portion slash surprise ending of the Twilight Zone episode where Barbara Jean wishes that she could be on screen 
with all her old co-stars. And in the next scene, we see the maid come back into the screening room with a snack like she did in the very first of the episode, only to find that Barbara Jean is once again not in the room. And so she calls Danny. Danny comes over, and the maid tells him that she has seen hide in her hair of Barbara Jean but says that, you know, come to the screening room. So she goes to the screening room with Danny, and he flips on the projector, and on the screen is Barbara Jean with all of her old co-stars, as they were in the 30s and 40s, in her house, all walking up her staircase, having a party, and Danny yells at the screen, and Barbara Jean turns around and takes her handkerchief and drops it at the bottom of the stairs, and uh, then he shuts the projector off. So Danny goes out of the room and at the bottom of the stairs is Barbara Jean's handkerchief. So this was one of those little, you know, between dimension and reality things that Rod Serling had been wanting to put in the episodes starting in the first one and was kind of disallowed the privilege to do it and he finally got to do it in this episode. And Martin Balsam... As Danny closes out the episode with a nice little couple lines about wishes. And that leads us to the closing narration by Will Lastly. To the wishes that come true, to the strange mystic strength of the human animal, who can take a wishful dream and give it a dimension of its own. To Barbara Jean Trenton, movie queen of another era, who has changed the blank tomb of an empty projection screen into a private world. It can happen in the Twilight Zone. Now this episode was directed by Mitchell Leeson, who was born in 1898 and died in 1972. So he was 74 when he passed away. He was a prominent director in the 30s and the 40s. Um, so by the time the Twilight Zone came around he was pretty much near the end of his career and he directed two other episodes of the twilight zone uh, one being escape clause which comes up in a couple of episodes and the other being people are alike all over which comes up later now he did direct the movie death takes a holiday which i briefly touched on in one for the angels I thought there was some correlation there and by the time the twilight zone had come along he was basically directing television shows kind of like wagon train or uh the shirley temple tv show but from what i've read about him he was a very old school director meaning that he still had a rolls royce that he had a driver take him to and from the set every day even though you know he wasn't really rich at this point in his career um and he you know just really was old hollywood and uh, I think it really speaks to it the way he directed this episode. It's, it almost seems fitting that he lived in the past, just like Ida Lupino's character in the episode. Now, speaking of Ida Lupino, uh, she was born in 1918 and died in 1995, which means she died when she was 77 years old. Now, she is an anomaly in the Twilight Zone in the fact that she was the first woman to star in and direct an episode of The Twilight Zone. She, of course, starred in this episode, and she directed the Season 5 episode, The Masks, which most uh, Twilight Zone fans, 
you know, it's that's in their top five, if not their top ten best episodes ever. So she had that going for her. Uh, she had, as I saw, 105 acting credits and 42 directing credits. And the interesting story is that she got into directing because when she was under contract with studios, she refused to take any part that Betty Davis turned down, which of course caused you know her to be suspended a couple of times from her contract. And during those times, she learned how to direct. So she started directing some in the 50s, and then when she was out of her contracts from the studios back when that was kind of no longer a thing, she started directing TV shows and directed stuff like The Untouchables, Dr. Kildare, Bewitched, and Gilligan's Island, to name a few. And she became quite a, an, an accomplished director. And she retired in 1978. And I think it's pretty cool that Rod Serling and Buck Houghton and them gave her a chance to direct an episode that was very, very forward of them back in the 60s to let a woman direct an episode of a popular television show. And rounding out the cast, of course, Martin Balsam, who played the private detective that uh, helped Marion Crane's sister track her down to Norman Bates's house in Psycho, and was a very, very prominent and very busy actor throughout most of his career. But we will talk about him later when he comes up in his episode that he stars in, in season four titled The New Exhibit. Not a whole lot of trivia on this episode. I mean, other than Ida Lupino being the first woman to star in and direct an episode of The Twilight Zone, as well as um, the set, you'll, you'll recognize it in a couple other episodes, um, most notably The Purple Testament, Elegy, and Long Live Walter Jameson. It's used in all three of those. As far as goofs, there were really none to speak of. So let's move on to the moralistic slash philosophical side of this story. Now, in uh, most episodes of The Twilight Zone, you have a character who either deserves punishment or deserves some sort of reward or lesson to be taught. Maybe not death necessarily, but some sort of lesson to be taught. And this is one of the episodes where that really doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, it's it's almost the antithesis of that, because this woman basically shuts herself out to the rest of the world and gets rewarded by going off basically into the sunset into her dream world. But I think maybe, maybe Rod was trying to tell us that looking to the past is no way to live in the future. Basically a you-can't-go-home-again sort of idea, and in this episode, I think he's trying to tell us that if you spend too much time in the past, you will basically become forgotten. And that's pretty much what Barbara Jean Trenton did. She spent so much time living in the past that she disappeared into it and will basically be forgotten, which is actually the one thing that she never wanted was to be forgotten. Maybe he was just trying to tell us that you don't have to stay relevant, you just have to stay current and the rest will take care of itself. Now, likes and dislikes. My likes for this episode were, of course, Ida Lupino. She really plays this part phenomenally, and really, I think, fits the bill 
to play a an aging star from the 30s and 40s even in the way she portrays the character the character even in living in real life overreacts to everything much like the way they acted in the 30s and 40s you know everything had to be so grandiose and so over the top and of course martin balsam is always a welcome sight for his ability to just disappear into a character my dislikes for this episode were that there was no real twist ending. I mean, it you know, it was kind of a twist, but it, it wasn't near as good as some of the upcoming episodes will show us. I mean, it's a good thing that they trotted this episode out in the beginning of the season, because I'd hate to think you go through a season and then wind up with this thing near the end. It would kind of, you know, ruin the mood, so to speak. Not that it was a bad episode. It, it wasn't. It was just not a really standout episode among some of the other ones. And finally, like I said, there's no real comeuppance for Barbara Jean Trenton, other than she's forgotten. But she basically gets to live in her own fantasy world and doesn't really get any sort of, you know, retribution from the world. And I always thought that was a little weak. Now, if this were to be filmed today and myself... Me and I were in charge of casting it today. Who would I cast in these roles? Well, for Barbara Jean Trenton, I thought about this and I thought maybe Nev Campbell would be a decent person. I think she could pull it off. I think, you know, she's definitely in the age range and definitely, I think, has the ability. Now for Danny, and it's going to sound weird, but follow me on this, Sean William Scott. If you've seen some of his more dramatic um, roles that he's taken, like, say, the movie Just Before I Go, he can still play serious, but have a little bit of, of mischievous and a little bit of air of comedy to it, but without it being comedy, but still being a very dramatic piece, and I think he'd be good at that. Because you almost want the character of Danny to be slightly sarcastic and slightly put upon and, and over all of this mess having to deal with this woman. Now for the maid, I figure somebody that, you know, would fit the part, so to speak, but, you know, would just be there, and I think Maggie Gyllenhaal would be good for that. Not that she's a horrible actress, but, you know, it's one of those things of throw her in a bit roll, you know, give her a little something to do, and I think she'd be good. For Saul, the CEO of Universal Pictures, I would put Tim Robbins in there. Uh, once again, fill a small role with a big actor. I think it would go well. I think he could easily play that character with his eyes shut. You know what I mean? And finally, as Jerry Herndon, James Vanderbeek. Why not? He's of the age. You know, he's starting to look a little older, a little more distinguished. And, you know, give him something to do. It'd be good. Now, this would be the listener feedback portion of the program, but, uh, as of yet, I have no listener feedback, because I probably have no listeners. So once I get them, then I'll get feedback. And when I get feedback, I'll share it with you all. So so let's move on to a preview for next week's episode. One of the top five of any Twilight Zone fans list is Walking Distance, which is the story of a man who walks toward the past and limps back to the present. So, 
With that being said, it looks like the uh, clock on the wall is telling me it's time to go. So if you have any feedback, if you have any comments, suggestions, want to call me an a-hole, I don't care. Email me at dimensionstzpodcast at gmail.com and I will see you guys later.